and welcome to the next episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films, filmmaking and film theory. In each programme we'll focus on a particular movie, we'll talk about it, review it, and discuss some of the ideas and themes it throws up. And we'll always end with our recommendations for films to watch based on this week's film, and the links can be close or pretty much as tenuous as we want. As this is episode 49, at this point we kind of assume you know who we are. But his name's Sam, he writes about pop culture and culture in general. My name's Rob, I attempt to make pop culture and culture in general. And this week, Rob, it was your choice. It was, and I went for the, in some way little known, but sometimes often forgotten, 2012 film, John Dies at the End. Someday you will face the unimaginable. It is physically impossible to avoid it. You got my attention, Mr. Wong. This slack stuff, this sauce. You can see things you shouldn't be able to. If I show you what's in this container, you'll never feel at one with the human race. John Dies the End is... A film from writer David Wong and director Don Coscarelli. It tells the tale of Dave and John, who are two, not quite slackers, but probably millennials, who discover a new street drug that can send its users across time and space. And they use it to battle otherworldly creatures. Um, They have strong support from... uh, Paul Giamatti and Clancy Brown as a journalist and medium, respectively. And I think that's probably all it's worth talking about prior to any other spoiler territory. Um, so, Sam, mm. your thoughts? Um, <laughs> no, I, I did like it. Um, it was not necessarily something, this sort of film that I'd l- always like but then there were some very clever things about it I thought um, the writing in particular and I mentioned last week I liked David Wong um, so I thought this was very tightly written um, also very well directed and um, I, I suppose I feel that I've had a bit too much of this sort of um, film based on a relationship between two sort of slackers, sort of nerdy guys and it's just something I feel Kevin Smith did in the mid-90s and I'm not sure it still works but I thought for all but I wasn't entirely on board with the characters, the film was brilliant, the narrative was great I've seen the film before and whilst I kind of recommended it for this week it was very much like I remember that being interesting but I couldn't remember if it was good or not and I still Mm. think I'm kind of in that same place it's an interesting Mm. film or at least it's trying to be an interesting film but I'm not entirely convinced it's a good film Um, aside from the technical nature of filmmaking there are bits where sorry to say their lack of budget shows Mm. Um, but then given the nature of the content of the film I was never sure if that kind of TV-esque green screen was intentional was yes. was it meant to look yeah. that fake 
um, because the rest of the time it was shot wonderfully. Some of the, some of the physical effects um, were really, really good. Um, so it was a, a very strange f- a sort of this film. I think I enjoyed watching it, um, but I would I would probably draw the line before saying it was a good film. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I I think you're right with this this idea that it's interesting though. There was. There was lots about it that I could engage with. It wasn't a... This may be damning it with faint praise, but it was certainly not forgettable. Um, There there was a lot to take on board. Um, And one of the things about that one is, before we even start talking about any of the film, is the title, um, which is... It's a very provocative title, and it's saying to you, "I, I am telling you." Or actually, it turns out it's not telling you what the film's about, but it makes a point of saying you can know what a film's about and still not know what's going to happen. Mm. So I kind of, I kind of like that before I even watch the film. It felt. I mean, this we're going to step into some small um, academic territory. It felt weirdly Brechtian. The film as a whole, mm. of the title John does at the end, and the nature of the film that quite a lot of the events of the film are told in retrospect. You know, it is mm. some way the the, the, the sort of the, the story within stories is a great sort of idea of of Brecht. You know, think of things the Caucasian Chalk Circle. The majority of that play is someone else telling that story to somebody else. Whereas in this, mm. almost all the action happens in. A diner in which Dave is telling the story to Arnie. So, a we get into the into the world of unreliable, unreliable narrators, but it also kind of you know that Dave is going to survive. You know that John's going to survive mm. because you've got like that, that that tension is being removed from the scene because you know it's being told in retrospect. But then you've also got the the, the, the title telling you. John dies at the end. So it's weird that I feel tension between those two kind of competing narratives. Mm. Um, and yeah. obviously like meta-narratives rather than actual narratives. Um, but I, I do think that there's there's an influence of Brecht on this this nature of film, certainly. Mm. Yeah. I think also around sort of the midpoint of the film where only seriously questions what... David is telling him, mm. and you have the the revelation in which Annie is brought face to face with this, um, and all these discussions about well, okay, this would be a great story. I put it in a book, and David says, "Well, do you think does that mean you think it's made up?" Um, and these are interesting things for characters to say in a film of this nature. But also, thinking about this film, the film idea, this Brechtian idea, David Wong himself writing this is playing a character. Because the character David Wong is itself a pseudonym. Yes. Because Jason Pargeter writes... Not only writes as David Wong, but is quite honest and open about the fact it's not his real name. Mm. So already you've got that level of a, of a remove. 
And in, in the film himself, before. Dave says he changed his name to Wong. The, yes. the character, yeah. you know, so you've got that. that, that we, I mean, that this is where it gets into, I hate to use the word meta, because I don't think it is meta. Um, it isn't commenting on itself, but it is an interesting kind of layering of ideas and, and narratives around the story. You've got David Wong, who isn't called David Wong, writing about David Wong, who isn't called David Wong. Hmm. Yeah. And I think, well, I think you can can use methods to talk about this because because of that for that very reason because David Wong, the writer, is himself writing a story that's kind of also a bit about himself so he although the film is not commenting on itself the narrative is written by someone who is commenting on his own state of not quite being David mm. Wong exactly I think the, the film as I recall is based initially on a, a book which I must say I haven't read mm. um, but it, it's a, a, a similar format I think that despite everything we've just said, one of the problems I had with this film was that it was interesting and it threw up a lot of ideas, but it didn't really seem to say anything with them. No. So, like, yeah, I I think there's some interesting Brechtian techniques there and there's some interesting meta techniques around the naming of characters after himself, but I couldn't put a finger on and tell you what the the aim of that was. Why was he using Brechtian techniques? Why were they using meta techniques? It just felt like it was an interesting thing to do. And, you know, I'm, I'm an advocate for films that are just good films and they haven't all got to say something. But using the, these techniques made me think the film was trying to say something. Mm. That, that, that Aside from its comedy, horror, sci-fi narrative that there was some sort of subtext or metaphorical text or something else that's going on in the in in the sort of the narrative that I wasn't picking up on but I don't know I suppose that's what I'm to, for you, was there another thing it was trying to say because I couldn't pick up on anything I'm not sure about this because well like you I haven't read the book or the short story that it's based on I've only read other things by the writer um <clears throat> excuse me so it's difficult to know whether there was something else there that the writer was trying to be clever with or the director was trying to say something about. I see what you're saying, that the film is is trying to do interesting things. Whether it succeeds or not is another point. I do think one of those is, is right at the start, and I wouldn't have remembered this if I hadn't written it down, but there's a um, replacement of the axe head sequence right at the very beginning mm. which is l- like the um there's a there's a bit in only fools and horses where trigger talks about his broom is that sort of thing is it the same implement even though the parts of it have been replaced mm. and that was that was very clever and it's sort of it, it's kind of a throwaway thing that he does at the start that doesn't really have any bearing on on the rest of the film yeah, I mean, but I think what that's making out, I think, because you have a few times in this, um, in this story in which people aren't who they seem to be. So you got to move into spoiler territory. Arnie is revealed to not be a schlubby white man, but to be an elderly black man, at least in his own mind. And mm. the opening story that he tells, you have this girl who looks different to different people, and the idea that people are 
either using this drug or coming from another place and they, they aren't who they say they are or they come back as a different person. And that idea of what becomes the essence of a person. You know, like, what what is you? Is it your physicality look? Is, you know, is, is mm. Sam what Sam looks like? What bit of you makes you you? Like, how much do we have to replace if you just stop being you? Mm. Um, you know, and, and then the... This, the interesting idea is that the um, the uh, uh, the lady without a hand who has like the ghost hand to open the ghost door, and there's an idea that that hand is her, but also isn't her. She hasn't got that hand, um, and that was I felt they were tr- once again trying to say something with this. Um, the idea of you know what what are you? What bit of you is you? Do you still remain you if you go into alternate worlds? And I think that. The film does is good in taking some of these ideas and putting them in a exploitation cult movie horror movie framework. The opening, you breeze that the opening scene about the axe is an oft discussed kind of theoretical problem. You know, if I replace the strings of my guitar and the bass of my guitar, is the same guitar? But in this, mm. it's couched in a world of you are killing a neo-Nazi who then comes back as a zombie. Like yeah. the, the, the 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 accoutrements and, and the mise en scene of of that story are very much in the zombie alien world. So I felt that they were doing interesting things in there and taking these probably more sort of dry academic topics and putting them in more of a culturally hardly relevant but culturally accessible format with the sort of the trappings of of a um, popularist and often lowbrow film. But then I do think it kind of didn't do anything with that afterwards. Although actually, there is, there is something. There's the there's a sequence towards the end in which um, a scene of great violence is shown to the audience through a cartoon. And when I first saw this, I thought, well, this is. I mean, this is interesting in one way because it's a comment on what it becomes possible to show in in the the space of a probably 12 rated film something we talked about last week the the audience that um the audience that a film is is destined for um so i thought that that was interesting it was sort of well we do want to be particularly violent here but let's not overset the bounds of of the film of of this this arena we set up for ourselves, um, but there could I mean based on what you said there could be some other, maybe something they they're stretching for here they haven't the the director hasn't quite got that there's some something else is being said about representation here that this film is trying to push the boundaries of what it is to be seen as a person and. You have that with the the girl at the beginning and Arnie, and then you also have it in the cartoon as well. That you have the the way these people are seen changes in the film. Mm. So it's 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 something that the film is is. I don't know whether it succeeds in doing it, but it is it is still playing with it at the end. I think that's that that's me the bottom line. The film seeks depth it doesn't earn 
Mm. Um, and it seems, it, and but I suppose maybe that maybe then that's the whole point. Maybe that's the if we are to take this as a bit more of a sorry, for, 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 for millennial type film is that there is no depth. This, you know, the end, the very last scene in which they are confronted with their chance to save humanity on an alternate world, they clearly just abandon that and don't want to do it. Mm. So maybe the message here is, despite all the you know, political and all the philosophical wranglings, um, you just there's nothing more than what you see. That you can throw all this, mm. all this psychobabble at it, but at the same time, they're just two men who occasionally help people out. Mainly because they think they're pot. Hmm. Yeah. We have been quite negative about it, but I think it is worth saying that there are some surprisingly good acting performances in what is essentially, as you said, is is a B movie, is an exploitation movie, is a not a. a maybe a, a cult film, not necessarily a mainstream film, but Chase Williamson in the in the main role is very, very good. I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I would... I totally agree. I think that, whilst I say we, we said some bad things in that film, I don't... I said, it's a good film that I enjoyed watching. And there is good support as well. I mean, Paul Giamatti Paul in this film, it's not... It's not a bad film. No, I'm, I, I've got a lot of time for Paul. But like, like you said, it's... It it is doing interesting things. Maybe it doesn't quite hit the mark in every respect, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a solid film. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's it's certainly interesting watching. I I would certainly recommend it to anyone who likes this kind of thing. Um, but I do think maybe it's reaching for depth. It's it hasn't earned, but it's certainly fun to watch. Mm. Yes. So Sam, in that vein. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, do you have uh, recommendations? Well, I'm, I'm going to put it on you because you made me go la- first last week, so you can go. Okay. Um, I, I've, I've just thought of another one, actually. Um, I might go with that. Um, in the vein of fun films, not necessarily a lot of depth to them, and... You could do with another watching to see whether they're any good or not, and you're still not quite sure. Um, I would go with World's End, mm. um, which is not a great film, but it. Well, we we saw this. We went to see um, all three Peg Frost films, the Cornetto trilogy, mm-hmm. um, as they're called. In, in a row, and it was a lot of fun. And the same. It, it might have been the environment, a lot, lot of fun. It might be the fact that um, Shaun of the Dead is an undeniably brilliant film, um, and that gave it momentum. But I thought The World's End was quite enjoyable. Um, it was quite a fun film, so I, w- I would go for that. Fair enough. Um, my other one is. I'm going to stick with this um, animated sequence that I've mentioned right at the end. Um, And the animated sequence was put together by David Hartman. And David Hartman is not famous for anything, really, in terms of animation. He's done a lot of work on um, um, kids' TV cartoons. Um, But he did work in the art department on the film Tenacious D in the Pick of Destiny. 
Wow, that was, that's a deep pull there. I didn't think that was coming out, Ben. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah. That's, that's, wow. <laughs> yeah. So you wanted you wanted obscure, you wanted uh, vaguely tenuous. Um, I give you that. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I I must say I rewatched Worlds End recently and I really liked it. Oh, good. But I watched Pick a Destiny the first time and didn't like it. No, I. I, I was able to get is one that I, I haven't watched since it came out. So I'm, I, it's I think you're right. It's in that vein of I should watch that again. Yes. Um, yeah. Okay. Jack, Jack Black. Jack Black. I'm never sure about. Is he good? Is he not? Is he really annoying? Who knows? I've seen him be really good and really annoying. Yeah. I think he need, he needs the right film and the right director to make him be really good, and he has been really good. But he comes on can be a bit like eh, got it down a little touch there, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, high fidelity. High fidelity was brilliant. High fidelity. I like Sword of Rock. Good, I enjoy him in the Holiday. Um, I must say I wasn't a fan of Nacho Libre. Um, Shallow or Hal didn't do much for me. Uh, I'm just trying to think through other Jack Black. I never saw Goosebumps come out recently. Oh, he was. They they did something interesting with that. He was the narrator in that. Yeah, he, he played R.L. Stein. But like, beyond a few trailers, I haven't seen any more than that. I must say. Oh. Um, okay, my recommendations are. So I've gone yes. one with natural link to the film and one more thematic. So my one with the actual link to the film is the director, Don Cosrilli. And Don made, back in 2002, a film that is the very definition of, of a cult classic. Um, it is one that people may have heard of, but many people haven't seen. And that is Bubba Hotep. Bubba Hotep is the tale of a now-retired Elvis and a now-retired JFK, both alive, both living in a nursing home, who are fighting a ancient Egyptian mummy that is stealing the souls of other residents. Elvis is played by Bruce Campbell. JFK is played by Ossie Davis, notably an elderly black man, rather than JFK. And it is as bizarre and as weird as John dies at the end, but it's also hilarious and great. It's a, it's, it's a strange sell, I grant you, um, but Bubba Hotep is is a is a cult classic. Okay, I'll take your word for that. Uh, and to, sticking it's... sticking with the cult classic world, um, I'm going back to the eighties to nineteen eighty four to a very very cult film. Uh, the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. Now, tell me, Sam, have you seen this film? <laughs> really, no. I didn't think that that was that was even an even deeper pull than Tenacious D. Yeah, um, Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension is the tale of Buckaroo Banzai, a adventurer surgeon slash rock musician, and his band of scientists slash adventurers, the Hong Kong Cavaliers. Who are fighting some alien invaders? It's very John dies at the end. Um, it's got you know, Peter Weller, John Lithgow. It's got Jeff Goldblum. It's got Christopher Lloyd in it. It's got Ellen Barking in it. It's got Clancy Brown in it, who played um, in John dies at the end. It is strange and weird, but invigorating and hilarious, and just all round brilliant. It is very eighties. It is very cult. But if you don't leave watching that film without a smile on your face, then I think you're dead inside. Um, it ha- had a very long promised sequel that never ever came about. Um, 
and it features Jeff Goldblum dressed as a uh, cowboy. So who wouldn't want that? But genuinely, it, it, it's, it's a cult classic. It's been recently re-released on Arrow DVD. Go watch it, is all I can say. Right. So next week. Yes. Episode 50. Episode 50. We have we have reached episode 50. Um, so episode 50, it's, it was sort of my choice. Um, but for this, I'm picking... Uh, one of, if not Rob's favourite film of all time. I say that knowing full well it is Rob's favourite film of all time. Um, and I pick this partly uh, because it would be fun to have something that we we both love, although one of us very definitely more than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and partly because uh, 16 years ago, maybe? 17 years ago. Somewhere on there, yeah. Um Rob and I went to see a stage show of this in uh, Reading's cultural hub of the Hexagon, mm-hmm. um, and it is the the classic film, The Blues Brothers. I'm so excited! <laughs> so excited! I love this film. Yeah. Okay. Good. If you want to come find us online, you can find both of us at Prestige Podcast on Twitter. You can find me at Life underscore Academic. Or you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we will see you next week for the amazing The Blues Brothers. Spoiler alert, I'm going to like it. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr!